Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. E.B. White once said, Prejudice is a great time saver. You can form opinions without having to get the facts. <laughs> great, line right up. <laughs> Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. And I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 980th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. That's right, and we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. So we thank you for joining us today. This is a call and friend, uh, a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, Facebook, and our chat board. So let's get started. Jonathan, what's the question for tonight? This one should be pretty interesting. It is, Rick. Our question is, does our pride make us prejudiced? Part two. And our theme text is found in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. All right. So last week, if you remember, we began our conversation by saying that pride can be a tricky thing and prejudice can be an awful thing. Well, last week we focused our attention on the pride side of the matter and its insidious way of taking over our lives. Now it's time to talk about prejudice. And this... This is a hard conversation to have. For most of us, we can observe what we think is prejudice in others. We can see a a skewed view on some group or approach and we think about how unfortunate it is and wonder why those folks can't not see a bigger picture. Well, the bigger picture begins with these questions. First, how prejudiced am I in my view of the world and of others approach? Am I willing and able to recognize prejudice in my own thinking when I see it? And am I willing to attack it with the same passion that I feel about the prejudice of others? Prejudice needs attention and eradication no matter where it's found. So the big question is, how do we do that? So, Jonathan, uh, this is a really big subject for for uh, our podcast today. It's always our objective with each subject. We choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the context of the scriptures that we cite. We try and find their true meaning and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think about. So, does our pride make us prejudiced? And this is part two. And Rick, um, we all hope and think that we're not that type of person that has prejudice. Right. But if you say, Lord, show me where I am, throughout the weeks to come, he may open those doors where we may realize, wow, I've got some work to do. 
And, you know, I think that's a great way to, to get this, this conversation started because I think that is one of the main messages. When we talk about prejudice, we often think about, oh, those people, those people who are prejudiced. And really our objective today is to say, what about me? Do I fit into any of that? And if I do fit, what can I do to unfit, to, to, to be uh, contrary to that kind of thinking? So let's get started, Jonathan, with just some basic Merriam-Webster online dictionary, uh, like a summary of the several definitions of what it means to be prejudice. Injury or damage resulting from some judgment or action of another in disregard of one's rights. An adverse opinion or leaning formed without just grounds or before sufficient knowledge. An irrational attitude of hostility directed against an individual, a group, a race, or their supposed characteristics. Okay, so there's a lot of pieces to that, but a lot of this has to do with not knowing the whole story, not thinking through the whole story, and therefore not being in a position where the whole story is going to actually come through in your own, in your own reactions. Rick, you really found a really cool TED Talk uh, for this uh, podcast. Where did you find it? Because it, it's, we're going to scatter it throughout this whole pro, um, program. Yeah, and, and it is. It is profound. And, and folks, I am I just, you got to stay with us for this whole thing and listen to the story unfold. And actually, I, I, I didn't find this. Uh, you know, we have a, a group of, of, of um, CQ teammates who, who help us with research and so forth. But uh, a week and a half or two weeks ago on a, at Sunday dinner, my nephew, Matthew, was sitting next to me at dinner, and we're just having dinner together at Sunday dinner, and he said, Uncle Rick, do you listen to TED Talks? And I said, yeah, I love TED Talks. Why? He says, well, I listened to this one about this woman who was once part of the Westboro Baptist Church and left. And I looked at him, and I said, Matt, do you realize that in two weeks we're doing a, a podcast on prejudice? And he said, really? And so he sent me the link. And uh, so, Matt, really, really good job on that. And, uh, you know, my nephew and I have, have been down through, th- through some uh, really, really, really tough roads together. It's a story for another day, but I just now that I'm talking about it, I just want to say how proud I am of how much he has grown uh, in the last year or so. It's an incredible story. So, Jonathan, let's get to this TED Talk. This is about a woman. Her name is Megan Phelps Roper. She was the daughter of one of the leaders of Westboro Baptist Church. And if you folks, if you've heard of Westboro Baptist Church, that's the, and I'm going to put this in air quotes, that's the Christian, and I put that in air quotes because it doesn't belong. I'm, it's, it's just a group that just would, would, would stand against everyone and everything. She tells her story of how she got started and why she ended up leaving. So let's begin to, to key in on Megan Phelps Roper's story from her TED Talk, which is entitled, I Grew Up in the Westboro Baptist Church and Left. Let's listen. I was a blue-eyed, chubby-cheeked five-year-old when I joined my family on the picket line for the first time. My mom made me leave my dolls in the minivan. I'd stand on a street corner in the heavy Kansas humidity, surrounded by a few dozen relatives, with my tiny fists clutching a sign that I couldn't read yet. Gays are worthy of death. This was the beginning. Our protest soon became a daily occurrence and an international phenomenon. And as a member of Westboro Baptist Church, I became a fixture on picket lines across the country. The end of my anti-gay picketing career and life as I knew it came 20 years later, triggered in part by strangers on Twitter who showed me the power of engaging the other. 
In my home, life was framed as an epic spiritual battle between good and evil. The good was my church and its members, and the evil was everyone else. Okay, we're going to start with that, but you know, she said a couple of things there. And one thing I want to pick up on is she said, engaging the other, quote, the other, unquote. And we're going to go back to that phrase as we unfold this subject matter of prejudice. But she started out, Jonathan, as a five-year-old who didn't, had no idea what was going on, holding a sign, a horrific sign that she couldn't even read. Because, and, and this is where her personal prejudice began. It was ingrained in her because it was taught. So let's, let's take a few minutes here and talk about why prejudice exists. And there are three basic reasons. And we're going to be going through Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. We're going to pick, on, uh, pick out verses 1 through 3 to start. Uh, and that will cover our first reason for prejudice. So let's get started with that. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Okay, so you were, once upon a time, the, the Apostle Paul speaking to Christians, you were dead in your sins because of Satan. And that's where you were stuck. Verse 3. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So whether you were Jewish by heritage or Gentile by heritage, the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, we're all messed up. We were all messed up. We were all in sin. So here we've got the first reason that prejudice exists. And this first reason, Jonathan, actually has three different pieces. So, So what is this first reason for prejudice existing? Well, Rick, prejudice is a result of sin experience in life, and an adversary who stops at nothing in his attempt to confuse and confound godly thinking and behavior. Okay, so we've got prejudice is a result of sin, experience, and an adversary. When you put those three things together, more often than not, you don't end up with a very good combination. No. You end up with something that's kind of poisonous, actually, kind of dastardly in what it does. It's a result of sin, and of course, we're all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. It's a result of experience in life, and sometimes that experience doesn't have to be mine. It could be my parents, or it could be my friends, or it could be my neighbors, but it's an experience in life that I potentially observe. And then it's a result of the adversary who just wants us to not be godly. Whatever it takes, that's what he wants. Don't be godly. I want to I get you off track on that. So that's the first reason that prejudice exists. Now, there's two more we want to get to in this segment. But first, let's go back to Megan Phelps Roper in her TED Talk. Uh, again, she grew up in the Westboro Baptist Church. She started out on the picket line at five years old holding horrific signs that she could not even read. And in the first, um, in the first soundbite, Jonathan, she had talked about um, the engaging people and, and, and you know, looking for arguments, looking for ways to get her point out. So let's continue as her energy for her prejudiced perspective spread out onto the Internet. Make a difference between the unclean and the clean the verse says. And so we did. From baseball games to military funerals, we trekked across the country with neon protest signs in hand, 
to tell others exactly how unclean they were, and exactly why they were headed for damnation. This was the focus of our whole lives. This was the only way for me to do good in a world that sits in Satan's lap. And like the rest of my ten siblings, I believed what I was taught with all my heart, and I pursued Westboro's agenda with a special sort of zeal. In 2009, that zeal brought me to Twitter. Initially, the people I encountered on the platform were just as hostile as I expected. They were the digital version of the screaming hordes I'd been seeing at protests since I was a kid. But in the midst of that digital brawl, a strange pattern developed. Someone would arrive at my profile with the usual rage and scorn. I would respond with a custom mix of Bible verses, pop culture references, and smiley faces. They would be understandably confused and caught off guard. But then a conversation would ensue, and it was civil, full of genuine curiosity on both sides. So the interesting thing happened. She's she's got her setup, and she's really good at what she does. But some people, instead of just raging at her, started asking her legitimate, honest questions, and she was honest enough in her own heart to pick up on that and want to respond honestly. And and the thing about that, Jonathan, is because she believed in what she was saying. She, of course, she did. So. You know, you have this sincerity and then this desire to have a conversation. And there's something very special about that, especially when two people who are at odds, I mean serious odds, can come together and have that kind of a conversation. So to get to our second reason, basic reason that prejudice exists, remember the first reason, sin, experience in life and the adversary. Let's go to First John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, because this picks up on how sin actually works in our lives. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So, the second reason that prejudice exists really focuses on sin. So, Jonathan, what is it? Well, Rick, sin stems from what we desire and see and also comes from our measurement of ourselves within our world. Pride causes us to remanufacture truth into comfort. This becomes prejudice. And I want to, I want to just focus on, on, on one line that you mentioned there. Pride causes us to remanufacture truth into comfort. We take what might be truth and we turn it into something that we are comfortable with in our own sinful state. This has a great danger of becoming prejudice in, in our lives. So we've got to be really, really careful that we're not remanufacturing truth to be something that we just want to, want to read the way we want it to read, because then truth is no longer truth. Okay, now, having said that, sin stems from what we desire, we see, and our measurement of ourselves in the world. Let's go back to a third soundbite from Megan Phelps Roper, the former member of Westboro Baptist Church, talking about her, her interchanges now on Twitter with people who were vehemently standing against her. How had the other come to such outrageous conclusions about the world? Sometimes the conversation even bled into real life. People I'd sparred with on Twitter would come out to the picket line uh, to see me when I protested in their city. A man named David was one such person. He ran a blog called Julicious, and after several months of heated but friendly arguments online, he came out to see me at a picket in New Orleans. 
He brought me a Middle Eastern dessert from Jerusalem, where he lives, and I brought him kosher chocolate and held a "God hates Jews" sign. <laughs> There was no confusion about our positions, but the line between friend and foe was becoming blurred. We'd started to see each other as human beings, and it changed the way we spoke to one another. It took time, but eventually, these conversations planted seeds of doubt in me. So you can see that there's a slow, steady changing of of her perspective on the matter. So prejudice, Christianity, and our responsibility. This example that we're going to touch on here just for a moment is based in long tradition, long biblical tradition, and a lack of understanding regarding grace within the Christian church. And it's kind of similar to the lack of understanding that she had as a young woman about the world around her. Acts chapter 15, verses one and two. Some men came down from Judea. And began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders. Concerning this issue, so there was an issue of carrying rituals of the Jewish law into Christianity, and those rituals had listed、uh, had existed for thousands of years. And the Jewish Christians, who were Christians first, said it's not possible to be a Christian without these. And the Gentile Christians said, no, 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 it, it can't be that way. And this was this was headbutting like you wouldn't believe in the early church. So the third point, the third reason that prejudice exists, Jonathan, is what. Or Rick, pride of heritage may damage our ability to see clearly and replace it with the fog of prejudice. Prejudice produces fog in life. Our pride of heritage, just like with this young woman, can produce this fog that makes us not be able to see the, proof,、uh, uh, the, the truth. So prejudice makes life foggy. We need fog lights. Turn those lights on so we can see. Now that we know something about how prejudice arrives, how do we approach it to fight it off? We're uncovering the truth, scripture by scripture, while gathering information from across today's media landscape with our vast CQ team of contributors. We want to hear from you, our listeners, for more contribution to our conversations. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or message us through the Christian Questions app, and our producers may read your comments over the air. Let's continue working through our topic with all our tools. We're reviewing the evidence. Now let's put it together. So, Jonathan, knowing about how prejudice works is a great place to start. Actually, approaching it to fight it is a giant step beyond that because now we have to turn. Knowledge and observation into tangible action. Without tangible action, prejudice is strong enough to overwhelm our hearts and lives, and therefore damage everyone around us. And that's the problem with prejudice. It doesn't just hurt me. It doesn't just hurt the person I'm prejudiced against or the group I'm prejudiced against. It hurts everybody around us. Rick, I have a question. Is there a difference between disagreeing? With a group or an individual, and with prejudice,、uh, that's a really, really good question, and a good, a good question to begin to build with.、Um, and and before we answer that question, let's just there's a really good quote here from William Hazlitt. What is it? Prejudice is the child of ignorance. And I'm going to use that as the basis for answering the question because prejudice is usually based. In a lack of understanding, or it's based in ignorance. Whereas, if you have a disagreement, you may 
you know, from a Christian perspective, theologically see something one way and another Christian theologically see it another way. That's okay. That's good. Talk to each other because you have a basis of, of commonality. And we're going to get to that and build on that as we go. But no, there's a huge difference between having a disagreement and being prejudiced. The key thing, Jonathan, is we want to make sure that our disagreement is not based in ignorance, but based on something that's that's tangible and and you know knowledge based or something worthwhile. And, and that makes sense. So based on fact, right, and not just emotion. Right, right, and and, and you're right. And prejudice finds its best home in emotion, and emotion doesn't think clearly. It just doesn't. Emotion doesn't think. It just reacts. So, so if you want to think through something, emotion's not going to help you, I can promise. Um, so let's get back to Megan Phelps Roper. In her TED Talk, I grew up in the Westboro Baptist Church and left. And now she has been talking with people on Twitter. And she's been having these, these give and take conversations where there's honesty on both sides. And she's now starting to listen to people that she just always flatly condemned. This is beginning to chip away at her as a young woman in terms of her, the depth of her own uh, conscience. So let's listen to the next step. My friends on Twitter took the time to understand Westboro's doctrines, and in doing so, they were able to find inconsistencies I'd missed my entire life. How could we claim to love our neighbor while at the same time praying for God to destroy them? The truth is that the care shown to me by these strangers on the internet was itself a contradiction. It was growing evidence that people on the other side were not the demons I'd been led to believe. These realizations were life-altering. Once I saw that we were not the ultimate arbiters of divine truth, but flawed human beings, I couldn't pretend otherwise. I couldn't justify our actions, especially our cruel practice of protesting funerals and celebrating human tragedy. These shifts in my perspective contributed to a larger erosion of trust in my church, and eventually it made it impossible for me to stay. In spite of overwhelming grief and terror, I left Westboro in 2012. In those days just after I left, the instinct to hide was almost paralyzing. I wanted to hide from the judgment of my family, who I knew would never speak to me again, people whose thoughts and opinions had meant everything to me and I wanted to hide from the world I'd rejected for so long, people who had no reason at all to give me a second chance after a lifetime of antagonism. So you think about the decision to leave and the horror that she had to face by making that decision because her family wasn't going to look upon her kindly. That, that was a scary transition for her. It was because now the world she's going into, she had condemned every one of them. Every one of them, not just in passing, but in a lifetime of passionate condemnation. And well, Rick, Rick, off of the website of the Baptist Church, they the, the, the Westboro they, Baptist Church, uh, Westboro yes. Baptist Church, they hate gay people, Catholics, Orthodox Christians, Muslims, Jews. American soldiers and politicians. That's a list that they have on their website. Okay, so, you know, they're, they're just shooting hatred and vitriol at all of these different groups in a very vocal way. She was part of it from the time she was five years old, and now she's feeling like, I've got to leave. So now we've got to figure out how to approach prejudice. Give all an equal footing. Here, and here's, here's one of the key bases. Give all an equal footing and help all to recognize that they're all equally out of harmony with God to begin with. See, 
if we can find equality somewhere along the line, we can begin to approach uh, prejudice. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Again, we're going chapter 2, verses 21 to 22. We're going to pick up uh, verses 4 and 5 here. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So there is a powerful equality in all being dead in sin. It is a common ground for grace to abound. It, it is. And, and without the commonality, it would be so much more easy to, to have prejudice against others. But we all started in the same place. No matter who you are, you were in sin and death and doomed to eternal death as a result of Adam's sin. Rick, to keep this uh, in our minds clearly, we're going through Ephesians 2, 1 through 22. It's a long set of verses. A great thing would be is to go to christianquestions.com and sign up for CQ Rewind. Uh, so that you can see the scripture, see it laid out, and all the major points of what this verse is bringing out for us to attack and fight against this disease of prejudice. Okay, so CQ Rewind, the full edition, again, it's, it's a free service available through your app, your Christian Questions app, or at christianquestions.com. Uh, Jonathan, before we continue further with our conversation, um, Trish has got a comment for us. Okay, just um, a clarification, and you may touch on this later um along with what something that jonathan mentioned so um all right we're all broken yes okay but they're going to come a point where there are certain things that people do where they live that you're not going to want to associate with because it you feel it's damaging and you don't want to be part of it right is that prejudice okay that's a good question and Thank you. We're gonna we're gonna we have to develop that the answer to that as we go. But that's an important question. So, what if about those folks that 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 legitimately live in a way that's contradictory to what you truly believe, based on scripture and so forth, is an, is a different way to live. How do you handle that? Are you just being prejudiced now, or is there some other explanation? Very very important question. Before we get to that to that question and other things, though, Jonathan, let's go back to Megan Phelps Roper in her TED Talk. And I'm, I'm, there are four things that she mentioned in that TED Talk um, about managing and dealing with prejudice. So they're not necessarily in order chronologically with the story. I took them out of order so we could take one of the four through each of these last four segments of the, of the, of the podcast today. So this is the first of four things that she is suggesting uh, to, to be able to manage, to understand, and deal with our personal prejudice. I thought about it a lot over the past few years, and I found four things they did differently that made real conversation possible. These four steps were small but powerful, and I do everything I can to employ them in difficult conversations today. The first is, don't assume bad intent. My friends on Twitter realized that even when my words were aggressive and offensive, I sincerely believed I was doing the right thing. Assuming ill motives almost instantly cuts us off from truly understanding why someone does and believes as they do. We forget that they're a human being with a lifetime of experience that shaped their mind, and we get stuck on that first wave of anger, and the conversation has a very hard time ever moving beyond it. But when we assume good or neutral intent, we give our minds a much stronger framework for dialogue. 
All right, so Jonathan, don't assume bad intent. And I, I want to touch on a personal experience that began when I was a kid and stayed with me for some time after uh, about being prejudiced. And it was, it was something that I fell into a prejudicial viewpoint of, of, of people of color. And the way that happened is why my grandmother and my great-grandmother and my grandfather lived in a, in a house in, in downtown New Haven. And they lived there for many, many years. And as time went on, the neighborhood changed and it got a lot rougher. And to, to be blunt about it, there were a lot of African-Americans in the neighborhood. And the young people that I saw in that neighborhood would pick on my grandmother and my great-grandmother. And my great-grandmother would go shopping to, you know, to, to Pegnateros. And she'd, she'd have her little grocery cart on two wheels that she'd wheel and she'd come back. And, and there were times when these kids would try to steal her groceries. Now, I never saw that happen, but they would talk about it and they put up this chain link fence in front of their house because of fear, because they were being a little bit harassed. In my mind, in my mind, I saw those black kids as bad. Not because I saw them do it, but because I heard the story and I built a whole bunch of extra onto the story. Now, look, there are a couple bad apples, okay? And there's bad apples in every group. But I became internally prejudiced. And, and, and I don't like to admit it, but it's true. Chapter two of the story will come later on in the podcast, okay? Because I learned my way out of it because of somebody else's example. So anti-prejudice action, don't assume bad intent. And I can tell you that's a bad thing to do from personal experience. Romans 14, one to four. Now accept the one who is weak in the faith. But not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. So this is another outgrowth of the previous experience, Acts 15, that we read in the first segment, where the, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians were having issues. This was about eating food or meat that was offered to idols previously. And those who came from idolatrous backgrounds thought, you can't do that because it affected them too much. Those who didn't thought, what's the big deal? The idol's nothing. So the apostle is saying, look, people's minds work differently. Go to verses three to five, three or four, sorry. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So, so here, all of our minds are flawed. That's what the apostle is saying. And he's saying we must exercise great care in judgment one toward another. This does not mean that anyone's actions are always okay if they think they are. And that's kind of what Trisha's questions were. Okay, well, what if people's actions are, you know, are, are, are disagreeable because of principle? But it does mean that we look in the mirror before, during, and after any necessary judgment. And I think this is where we begin to answer that question of hers. There are times when you have to make necessary judgments, especially if you're a Christian, because we live in an unchristian world. And just because somebody thinks or believes that they're doing something that's good and right doesn't mean it's good and right, and according to the principles we live by. So you do have to stand up for things and sometimes against things. But be careful that your judgment is done on yourself first. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. 
and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So you've got to be careful to judge yourself before you do anything for, for or towards others. And, and Rick, we don't have the ability to read the heart. Amen. And, and I love this first um, practical example of don't assume bad intent. Because, you know, tell yourself a story, make up an excuse for someone that, oh, they must have reacted or done something because their day is going bad or they had an emergency in their lives. Always give them the benefit of the doubt so that you're always positive and, and, and not, not judgmental. So what you're saying is our, our judgment of bad intent is making up a story. So as yeah. long as you're going to make up a story, make up a good one, not a bad one. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> and then if you can't find out the truth and then put all the stories away and act based yeah. on the truth, because people most times, you know, it's, it's not what we think it is. We've got to judge through the clear vision of love and grace. That's what you're saying. That's exactly. what the Matthew 7 verses are all about. We have to look in the mirror. And yes, you do have to stand against certain things, but that's okay. If you do it with love and grace... It's not beating people up or beating people down or insulting. It, yeah, it's disagreeing with someone. It's not being prejudiced to someone. Right, right. Because it's based on knowledge and fact. Right, right. Okay. Now, let's go back to uh, Megan's story about leaving Westboro Baptist Church. She's now left. She's scared to death of everybody, and rightfully so. The world had access to my past because it was all over the internet. Thousands of tweets and hundreds of interviews. Everything from local TV news to the Howard Stern show. But so many embraced me with open arms anyway. I wrote an apology for the harm I'd caused, but I also knew that an apology could never undo any of it. All I could do was try to build a new life and find a way somehow to repair some of the damage. People had every reason to doubt my sincerity, but most of them didn't. And Given my history, it was more than I could have hoped for. Forgiveness and the benefit of the doubt. It still amazes me. I spent my first year away from home, adrift with my younger sister, who had chosen to leave with me. We walked into an abyss, but we were shocked to find light and a way forward in the same communities we targeted for so long. David, my Julicious friend from Twitter, invited us to spend time among a Jewish community in Los Angeles. We slept on couches in the home of a Hasidic rabbi and his wife and their four kids. The same rabbi that I'd protested three years earlier with a sign that said, your rabbi is a whore. Isn't that amazing? How there was no carrying of such vitriol back to her because the rabbi saw a lost child and showed her God's love and mercy in a tremendous witness to what it means to be a real human being. So, you know, it's beautiful, beautiful story unfolding here. And, and, you know, Jonathan, we want to take a moment. We're running behind on our time here, so this is going to be quick. But, you know, the, the question comes up, well, is God prejudiced? We could spend a whole podcast on this, but let's just touch on one scripture very quickly. Amos 3.2. 
you only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. So you read that scripture and you say, well, God must be prejudiced. He chose one family over everybody else. That can't be fair. That can't be right. That can't be just. But you have to understand the context. And we don't have time to go into a lot of it, but just, Jonathan, we're just going to sum it up. What, what, what he says in, in Amos 3, verse 2, he says, yes, I've chosen you, therefore I will punish you. Therefore, you are the subject of my wrath. So that's what it means to be chosen, favored. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> favored and punished. So he chose to show them a higher standard, the Jewish nation. He chose them and did not accept them as they were. Rather, he chose them to show them what they should be, how to change, how to get higher, how to grow. This is no easy choice. So for us, Jonathan, the problem is simple. Prejudice is too big. It's an enemy, too big an enemy to overwhelm. You're right, but it still can be beaten. Approaching the enemy of prejudice puts us in a position to undermine its power. How do we do that? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. So, Jonathan, you mentioned undermining prejudice's power. To undermine something sounds bad, but it doesn't have to be. Think about it. Prejudice is such a powerful enemy, we rarely overcome it with a frontal attack. But we can begin to defeat it with a covert attack. That's what happened to Megan in in her story. It's kind of like planting a virus in the technology of prejudice. We corrupt the basis of the corrupted thinking so it doesn't work anymore. Goodness, godliness, is a virus to prejudice. And it's a good thing that when you plant it into something bad, it blows it up. And that's a good thing to do. So um, there's, a, there's a, another good quote here uh, from Bessie Coleman about prejudice. The air is the only place free from prejudice. All right. It may be true, but I will tell you unequivocally that the airwaves not so much. <laughs> <laughs> so again, and look, Honestly, we have to be careful in, in, because we are imperfect and we have the ability to talk to, to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. We have to be careful that we are approaching things and, and presenting them in a godly, clear, scriptural, loving, grace-filled fashion because it's too easy to get all, all bent out of shape about what you think you know and, and, and to look down at others. So we want to be careful about those things. Let's go back to uh, Megan Phelps Roper one more, well, not one more time, one, another time here. And, um, you know, she's in this, in this next, um, in this next soundbite, she's introducing the second uh, implement, the second tool for dealing with prejudice. First was don't assume bad intent. What is the second tool? The second is ask questions. When we engage people across ideological divides, asking questions helps us map the disconnect between our differing points of view. That's important because we can't present effective arguments if we don't understand where the other side is actually coming from, and because it gives them an opportunity to point out flaws in our positions. But asking questions serves another purpose. It signals to someone that they're being heard. 
When my friends on Twitter stopped accusing and started asking questions, I almost automatically mirrored them. Their questions gave me room to speak, but they also gave me permission to ask them questions and to truly hear their responses. It fundamentally changed the dynamic of our conversation. So, Jonathan, this is a good tool to use in relation to Trisha's question from earlier, because she said, "Okay, well, what happens when you have a fundamental disagreement based on principle, based on scripture? Well, a good way to deal with that is to ask questions of those with whom you disagree. And when you engage in sincere, honest conversation for the purpose of understanding, the back and forth can create an environment that allows a disagreement to exist without people blowing up at each other, but saying, okay, yeah, I see why you, you, you see it that way, but can you see it my way? Can you see why? I know you don't agree, but can you see why I see it that way based on what I told you? That's a great way to come to a point of disagreement without being disagreeable and without falling into prejudice. It really is, Rick. Um, our second anti-prejudice action is ask questions. Sincerely yeah. ask questions. Yeah, and I'm glad you put the sincerely in there because it's got, it can't be fake to buy some time so you can pound them with your next comment. That's not what asking questions is about. Well, prejudice can be undermined. The power of prejudice can be replaced with inclusion. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, again, we're going verses uh, 1 through 22. We're going to skip verses 6 and 7, go to verses 8 and 9 in Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Okay, so there are several inclusion elements in that verse. There's grace, there's faith, there's humility, and there's growth. And we are looking for the inclusion elements in those Christians, or are we? Here's the question. We've got to be asking the question. Are we looking for the inclusion elements in those Christians with whom we have issues? Are we looking for separate kind of inclusion elements with people who are not Christian, but finding a common ground of humanity to work from? Because, you know, Jonathan, for most of us, we can find some kind of common ground with everybody in our humanity, and we can begin to overcome prejudice in that way. Let's finish this, uh, this scripture, and then we've got to go to a, a chat comment. So, again, we're in Ephesians chapter 2, now verses 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Okay, pause right there for a second. Okay, you were, you Gentiles, were as far away from God as you could be. You didn't even have the Jewish rite of circumcision and the Jewish law to help you. You were completely lost. You had no hope without God in this world because the ultimate end was death and that was the end of everything. But, verse 13 starts with the word but, and here's what it says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Okay, remember, for the vast majority of Christians, our heritage was not one of spiritual grace and goodness. And, and Jonathan, your, your personal story from whether it was last week or a couple weeks ago really accentuates that point, okay? 
we don't have that background of spiritual grace and goodness. Do we try to find the positive potential in those we may be opposed to, whether they are Christian or not? Do we try to find the goodness in them? And again, if they're Christian, you can look in different areas. But if someone's not a Christian and they may stand for something that you may not like, you know, kind of inherently like the issue I had, are you willing to find the goodness in them, the humanity in them, the, 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 the higher levels in them to, to really rely on? Well, Rick, that's what Jesus did. Yeah. He talked to the tax collectors and the lowly in the towns and they drew close to him. And, and he saw potential in them, and he was willing to share with them. Right, right. and We, we should, too. And that's our example. That's what we should do. We have a, a uh, Trish is bringing us a chat comment. Go ahead. It says, interesting that um, Ananias and the early church had to confront their prejudice and fear against the Apostle Paul. Ananias was told to go uh, to Saul from, of Tarsus and he protested again um, because of the past experience, but he was willing to act on faith and uh, in the instruction of the Lord. So it just emphasizes that fear of the past can create a prejudice. Yeah, and, and that's, a good, that's a good comment. And, and you know, Jonathan, the, the other thing about Ananias is he's telling God, are you sure you got the right Saul? <laughs> do you yeah. real? Do you remember who this guy is? Do I need to remind you? You know, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but making the points <laughs> that he was so concerned because how could that guy be the one you're telling me? And and Jesus reassured him in that vision so fully that he put his personal prejudice aside and he addressed him. And, and you and I, we we talk about this all the time. How did he address him when he first saw him? Brother Saul, right. It was completely put away. It was behind him because he, he asked questions of Jesus, okay? That helped to answer the questions. But Ananias practiced inclusion. He practiced inclusion. So let's go back to Megan Phelps Roper in her TED Talk, I Grew Up in the Westboro Baptist Church and Left. Um, she now had begun spending time, if you remember, a couple of sound bites ago with a, with a Jewish family, a family of a rabbi. And they're beginning to see life in an entirely, entirely different way. We spent long hours talking about theology and Judaism and life while we washed dishes in their kosher kitchen and chopped vegetables for dinner. They treated us like family. They held nothing against us. And again, I was astonished. That period was full of turmoil, but one part I've returned to often is a surprising realization I had during that time that it was a relief and a privilege to let go of the harsh judgments that instinctively ran through my mind about nearly every person I saw. I realized that now I needed to learn. I needed to listen. This has been at the front of my mind lately, because I can't help but see in our public discourse so many of the same destructive impulses that ruled my former church. And now she, she's really becoming very powerful here. And she, you know, she said, look, I needed to learn. I needed to listen. I needed to, 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 to back away from all of the stuff I was spewing, close my mouth and open my ears and open my heart and really try to get what others were telling me. So it's a powerful, powerful talk that she's giving, showing the incredible transformation from being one who just seemed to hate the world and condemn, it, condemn them outwardly uh, and with, with force 
to someone who ha- has, has transformed her life to being a loving, caring, kind individual. So again, focusing on the common ground on common ground breeds inclusion. And that's what she was saying. Just listen. And, and Rick, are we paying attention to our brother, our neighbor? Are we really paying attention? Are we looking for... See, you can tell if you're paying attention to somebody by how often you are looking for the common ground. If you're not looking for common ground, no, you're probably not paying much attention. You're, you might be in your disagreement looking to beat them down, but you're certainly not paying attention. And you're right. You've got to pay attention. First Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to go to verses 1, 4, 7, and 9. And Jonathan, I'm going to interrupt you after verse 1, so you might as well just stop there. <laughs> <laughs> now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge, and knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. See, now, sometimes we take that verse and say, oh, okay, knowledge isn't very good, but love is everything. And you say, well, is it one or the other? And the answer is no. You have to have knowledge and apply it through love. See, love without knowledge is, is immature, and it will not solve a problem. Knowledge without love will tend to beat people up. You've got to use both of them together, and that's what the apostle talks about now in verses 4, 7, and 9. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food, as it were, sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. All right, so he's saying knowledge is good, Knowledge is important, but in that knowledge, you have to have love and understanding for those who may not see things as clearly as you. So, Jonathan, what this is saying is sometimes we do see things more clearly than others. And the Apostle Paul isn't saying, well, forget what you know and, you know, get yourself down to their level. He's saying stand up for what you know, but in such a way as to encourage those who may not know what you know, not discourage them within the brotherhood. And you're like, yeah, you're, not, you're not beating them up and putting them down. Right, right. Have like, the wisdom to rise above. Right. Like you said, are we paying attention to our brother? If we are looking for the common ground, if we're looking for inclusion, if we're asking sincere questions, those are indications that we are actually paying attention. Okay? So inclusion takes the power of prejudice away because it will starve when it can't keep the other at bay. Remember she, she mentioned talking about the other. Yes. And the and the the inference to the other was the bad ones, the evil ones, the dark ones, the condemned ones. So inclusion takes its power away from making people be the other. So another question, we 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 very briefly at the end of the last segment talked about the question was God prejudiced? And the answer is no, and you know, you have to really understand the whole plan of God to really get that. But you know, the next question, well, was Jesus prejudiced? And obviously, you and I are going to have the same answer on that one. Yes, we yeah, are. No. Absolutely no. <laughs> but, and, you know, and, and I was going to use a scripture that you could sort of determine that, well, well, maybe he was prejudiced, but there just wasn't enough time and room to do that. So let's just use a scripture that shows the, the goodness and the magnanimity of Jesus' approach. Matthew 5, 43 to 45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. 
For he causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So in this scripture, he talks about, you know, loving your enemy. And he's saying, you know, it's been said, you know, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But he's saying, no, 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 that's not right. That's not right. He's saying, love your enemy. And he says two things. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Now, these, Jonathan, these are not two thoughts that he's introducing. These are two action steps that he's introducing. Because if you really love someone, you're not going to do it from a long distance where they don't even ever know about it. Love in action has to let the person loved know that they are loved. Pray for those who persecute you. Dear Lord, I hope you give him what he deserves because he's such a bad guy. That's not it. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't work. (laughs) No, that's not what this is about. It's about something higher. Dear Lord, please bless them. If it's your will. And, you know, a suggestion. Give me an opportunity to be a blessing to them. So these are action steps that can take the idea, the feeling of prejudice away from us. So, so Jesus really focused on the benevolence of God by correcting the misrepresentations of his father with the challenge to include, quote, the other, unquote, in our daily consciousness in a very positive way. The Pharisees wanted to exclude, quote, the other. Jesus would have no part of it. Jesus was far beyond this idea of living and thinking and being prejudiced. So, again, action steps. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So, you know, at this point, it looks like we might be gaining ground on our enemy called prejudice. I think we are. So let's finish it. Now that we know how to undermine prejudice with inclusion, how do we eliminate it? Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ deep dive. Jonathan, the step of inclusion that we just talked about is not only a big step, it's a difficult one that takes time as well as pointed effort. If we can constantly get into the habit of checking and rechecking our personal perspective, we can truly be on the way to prejudice elimination. Asking sincere questions gets us to focus on, quote, the others and helps this process. So again, don't assume bad intent. Ask questions, sincere questions. Focus on inclusion. A great quote here that fits with all of this from Maya Angelou. Prejudice is a burden that confuses the past, threatens the future, and renders the present inaccessible. Okay, so no matter which way you look with prejudice, it screws everything up. Not a good thing to have, not a good habit to have, and we have to be willing to fight to get away from it, to get above it. And look, when you're dealing with folks in the world that you don't agree with, that can be especially hard because we can add all kinds of other things to our perspective of them that really don't, don't belong there, that are not true. If you don't know somebody really, really personally, who are you to, to, to judge their motivation and all of that kind of thing? I mean, we got to be so careful in, in dealing with that. So we can overcome the us versus them mentality by focusing on the basics of the gospel of Jesus. And here we're going to read Romans 10, 12 to 15. I'm going to interrupt you after 12, but go ahead. 
How about uh, Soundbite 13? How about that? You know, that's a really good idea. That's a better idea than I had. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, let's go back to Megan Phelps Roper uh, and um, just talk about, you know, her struggle with the us versus them after spending time with this, uh, with this rabbi and his family. We celebrate tolerance and diversity more than at any other time in memory, and still we grow more and more divided. We want good things, justice, equality, freedom, dignity, prosperity. But the path we've chosen looks so much like the one I walked away from four years ago. We've broken the world into us and them, only emerging from our bunkers long enough to lob rhetorical grenades at the other camp. We write off half the country as out-of-touch liberal elites, or racist, misogynist bullies. No nuance, no complexity, no humanity. Even when someone does call for empathy and understanding for the other side, the conversation nearly always devolves into a debate about who deserves more empathy. And just as I learned to do, we routinely refuse to acknowledge the flaws in our positions or the merits in our opponents. Jonathan, this is powerful because this young woman knows what it's like to be steeped in in prejudicial thinking. And what she's saying is, our public discourse in our country right here, right now, is going down the exact road that she she knows all about because she lived it. And it's a a very brave thing for her to say, hey, look, I know what this is going to bring you, and it isn't anything good. I've lived it. Don't do it. She is... Is, is, is putting out the invitation to stop, to listen, to stop with the in, bad intention uh, uh, accusations, to start asking questions, to start with inclusion, and to start to bring things to a higher level. That's a hard thing. And obviously in Christianity, this is going on. And, you know, Rick, we have specific beliefs that differ from mainstream Christianity. Right. So do they look towards us with prejudice? Well, and that's a good question. And the other question is, do we look toward them with prejudice? Do we say, yes. well, we know better than you, so, you know, get with the program. You know, so it, it's so important that when you're dealing with prejudice that you look at yourself first. First and foremost, and by looking at yourself again and again and again, you'll be able to communicate with others more easily. So now let's go back. Let's go where I was trying to go before. <laughs> the, the, the overcoming us versus them, focusing on the basics of the gospel of Jesus. We're going to go to Romans uh, chapter 10, verses 12 to 15. But again, I'm going to interrupt you after 12, so just might as well stop. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Now, see, here's the interesting thing. The difficult part was all of the previous Jewish history could not have imagined this moment. Jewish history said the Jewish people are God's chosen ones, and they were the only ones. Now, all of a sudden, anybody can be part of that chosen group without becoming Jewish? Paradigm shift. Yes. Major paradigm. It was a change of age. It was a change of the pattern in which God deals with humanity. And he changes his pattern throughout history to bring us to the point of complete reconciliation. It was a necessary change that had to happen. And they, they just, it was so hard to accept, but it was required to accept, to put away the prejudice, what you thought to be true, and see God's will as bigger than you previously understood. Let's continue now with 13 to 15. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? 
How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So really, one of the things this Roman scripture is saying is, remember, the sacrifice of Jesus is and it was and is for all of humanity. It doesn't matter, Jonathan, who the person is. Jesus' sacrifice was for them. It's for you. It's for me. It's for, it's for the people you used to know in your former life, just as much as it is for you. And if Jesus died for all, then why wouldn't I want to share that news? And even more importantly, why would I want to be condemnatory to them when I can give them a message of hope? Why wouldn't I want to try to communicate with their humanity to be able to just drop that little message in that there's something better coming? Even if someone's not open to religion, everybody's open to an encouraging thought of there's something better coming. And if that's the only level you can witness on, then by goodness, do it. And Rick, why would I keep an us versus them mentality because of this good news? Right. We have something that helps us inherently rise above us versus them. Christians, Jonathan, should be, of all people, the least prejudiced people on earth. Unfortunately, I don't know that that's so true, but that ideally is the way it should be based on what we have been given and what we can share with others. Okay, let's go back to... Um, let's go back to uh, Megan Phelps Roper again. Uh, and remember, we did two of the four things that we're talking about in, that she was suggesting in terms of dealing with prejudice. Don't, um, what is it? Don't, don't assume bad intent. Right. And the second one? Ask questions. Okay. So let's get to the third point in dealing with prejudice from her perspective. The third is stay calm. This takes practice and patience, but it's powerful. At Westboro, I learned not to care how my manner of speaking affected others. I thought my rightness justified my rudeness. Harsh tones, raised voices, insults, interruptions. But that strategy is ultimately counterproductive. Dialing up the volume and the snark is natural in stressful situations, but it tends to bring the conversation to an unsatisfactory, explosive end. When my husband was still just an anonymous Twitter acquaintance, our discussions frequently became hard and pointed but he always refused to escalate. Instead, he would change the subject. He would tell a joke or recommend a book or gently excuse himself from the conversation. We knew the discussion wasn't over, just paused for a time to bring us back to an even keel. Instead of lashing out, we can pause, breathe, change the subject or walk away, and then come back to it when we're ready. What a powerful observation. Stay calm. Don't escalate. And, and Jonathan, I want to go back to my story. Okay, remember the story of my own personal prejudice growing up, witnessing uh, my, my, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, well, not witnessing, but hearing stories of my great-grandmother being harassed by, by young black men on the street, you know, trying to steal her groceries. Several years later, my grandparents moved from that house to another house in another city. And uh, much, much easier neighborhood for, for older folks. My grandmother, not my great-grandmother now, my grandmother was walking home one day with her groceries. Again, same kind of cart, same kind of thing. And again, a young black man came over to her. He was a kid. He was maybe 12 years old, and he was trying to take the cart away. And she wouldn't give it to him. And she's telling the story how he is walking alongside of her down the street, and he is trying to wrestle this cart away, and she is starting a conversation with him. 
trying to talk about him and where he's from and what he's doing and what's on his mind. And she's not letting go. Now, she's an old woman at this point, okay? She's, got, she's in her 80s, I would think, 70s or 80s, probably, probably 80s at this point. A guy sees what's happening, pokes his head out of his door and says, ma'am, is everything okay? She looks at the man because there's the out right there. She looks at the boy. She said, and I looked at the man and I looked at the boy and I looked back at the man and I said, sir, everything is fine. This young man and I are just having a conversation. The man went back in his house and she continued to walk and he eventually let go. But she talked him down. And when I saw my grandmother, who had been harassed in the past and harassed in the present with no evil thinking, I thought, what is wrong with me? (laughs) Because she's the one who was the experiencing it. I just heard about it. And she was rising about, and she didn't see that young, she, that, that young man was having a bad day. That young man was troubled. Maybe I helped him. Maybe I blessed him. And you know, I, Jonathan, that changed my thinking because of her example. It wasn't because of me. It was because of her, because she was so strong in her own faith. And I will never forget that positive example of staying calm, dealing with such a difficult situation. So our third anti-prejudice action, it is, it's, 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 it, it taught me a lot. So that anti-prejudice action, the third one is stay calm, don't escalate. Let's get to the point of exterminating prejudice permanently. We got to focus on and live according to that which is higher. That's what my grandmother did. Back to Ephesians chapter two, verses 14 through 17. For he himself is our peace. We both We made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. See, now that is the power of Jesus. He said, yes, you come from different backgrounds. They were disagreeable, but Jesus himself broke down the dividing wall between the two, the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Not only did he break down the wall between them, but he made the two sides into one, into one new man. That is the the body of Christ. I mean, what a powerful way to dissolve all of the prejudice. He makes you all together. And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. All right, so the reconciliation, bringing both sides together, is a great example of reconciliation in this world, in this life. He put the enmity, the, the, the angst between them, he put it to death by saying, you are now equal in Christ. Look at one another and follow me. And he came and preached peace to all who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. And again, Jesus preached peace to those who were disagreeable amongst themselves. We should take this example and we should apply this example, especially amongst our Christian brothers. And we also need to apply it amongst in our, in our interactions with the world. See, see, Jonathan, our emotions can be tamed if we absorb and adopt this text. It's not enough to read it. You've got to absorb it, absorb it. Then you have to do it. The ultimate power of Jesus to equalize all before him is the ultimate power for our calmness to override our emotion. Be calm. Stay calm. Don't escalate. 
powerful. It rem- reminds me of the word uh, in the Old Testament, sila. Yes, exactly. Pause. Consider. Uh, it it just slows you down right. and makes you focus. And and we need that when because the emotions of prejudice don't want you to slow down. They want you right. to build up and build up. But what you're saying is do exactly the opposite based on scriptural. Uh, scriptural input. All right, let's go back to uh, uh, Megan Phelps, uh, Phelps Roper, uh, her TED Talk. And again, now she's talking about society and putting things in order and how difficult it is and how she sees everybody going down the same road that she went down. And she's saying, look, the end of this is really not very good. I remember this path. It will not take us where we want to go. What gives me hope is that we can do something about this. The good news is that it's simple. And the bad news is that it's hard. We have to talk and listen to people we disagree with. It's hard because we often can't fathom how the other side came to their positions. It's hard because righteous indignation, that sense of certainty that ours is the right side, is so seductive. It's hard because it means extending empathy and compassion to people who show us hostility and contempt. The impulse to respond in kind is so tempting. But that isn't who we want to be. We can resist, and I will always be inspired to do so by those people I encountered on Twitter, apparent enemies who became my beloved friends. Isn't that awesome? She she is such a spokesperson for righteousness and clarity and love and and compassion. And she's saying to all of us, you better watch out. I know this path, and this path leads to nothing. Nothing but destruction at all. Okay, um, Jonathan, we need to uh, just move a little bit forward. We are um, running out of time in this segment. We're, there's going to be a, a chat comment, come, uh, an app comment coming in, but I think we're going to take that next segment. Okay, we just want to touch on the question about Christianity itself. Okay, is Christianity prejudiced against women? Okay, now stay calm. Don't escalate as we get, <laughs> get into this question. And again, just read Ephesians five verse twenty-two at this point. And 22 wives, and 23, I'm sorry. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Okay. Wives, be subject to your husbands. So let it be written, so let it be done. And you look at that and you say, wow, what a prejudicial way to look at things in the 21st century. But Jonathan, let's leave, read the rest of the verse and see what that actually means in the husband-wife relationship. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. If the brothers in Christ would take those words, especially at the end, literally, you'd never have a wife who would be uh, upset about the relationship in Christ because you're cherishing and you're putting your wife first and, and, and lifting her up to honor and respect in your life would be so permeating that she would she, her existence would be transformed. See, so if we take the first part of the verse without the second part, we're totally missing the point. Totally. Absolutely. So Christianity teaches order, a specific order through which we glorify God and through which all, all 
involved are honored. It is amazing how God gives us the tools to deal with every enemy in our lives. It really is, Rick. So let's think, what would a life without prejudice actually look like? Is it even possible to have one? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. So, Jonathan, to be able to live a life completely devoid of prejudice is possible, but I think it is a rarity as well. We are steeped in our personal innuendo, which comes from our nurturing outside influences and interpretations, as well as from our own conclusions. Now, having said this, I really think we need to strive for this ideal of a prejudice-free life and spread its goodness to others. So, having said that, well, how do you do that? Okay, how do you know? How do you know when you're getting to a point where your life is so much more free of prejudice? And we're going to deal with that specific question in a few minutes. Jonathan, a quick quote from Miroslav Volf, and then we're going to go to our, um, um, was it a chat comment, Trish? App? App comment. Okay, go ahead, Jonathan. Prejudice is a form of untruthfulness, and untruthfulness is an insidious form of injustice. Okay. <laughs> If you want to have injustice, be prejudiced. There you go. That, it's a pretty simple thing. All right, Trish, a, an app comment from California. Uh, it says, I really appreciate this discussion. It is so important to assume good in others. As usually, as usually their intentions are good, and when they are not, it is because of fear and often of being judged. All right, so good, good thought in terms of putting it in perspective because we don't know what's on the other side. And most people, Jonathan, have a decent heart and they're not trying to, 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 to pull others down. They're trying to be noticed. And if we can just notice their need to be noticed, boy, life could really be something different. Uh, let's go back again to um, Megan Phelps Roper and now we're getting to the fourth point in dealing with prejudice. Again, don't assume bad intent, uh, ask questions, stay calm. Now, what's the fourth point? And finally, make the argument. This might seem obvious, but one side effect of having strong beliefs is that we sometimes assume that the value of our position is or should be obvious and self-evident, that we shouldn't have to defend our positions because they're so clearly right and good that if someone doesn't get it, it's their problem, that it's not my job to educate them. But if it were that simple, we would all see things the same way. As kind as my friends on Twitter were, if they hadn't actually made their arguments, it would have been so much harder for me to see the world in a different way. We are all a product of our upbringing, and our beliefs reflect our experiences. We can't expect others to spontaneously change their own minds. If we want change, we have to make the case for it. My friends on Twitter didn't abandon their beliefs or their principles, only their scorn. They channeled their infinitely justifiable offense and came to me with pointed questions tempered with kindness and humor. They approached me as a human being, and that was more transformative than two full decades of outrage, disdain and violence. 
They approached me as a human being, she said, and that undid 20 years of being brainwashed to be a hater. I mean, Jonathan, you think about the power of that. Make the argument. Tell the other individual where you stand and why, but tell them in a way that is that, that you can feel like you're being understood. So that fourth anti-prejudice action? Is make the argument, but be gracious. Okay, make the argument, but be gracious in doing so. Okay, uh, just another quick comment from Trish. So just a question. After we've listened and discussed you know, these things, what if we still don't agree? Then what do we do? Great. You still don't agree. You, now you can shake hands and walk away friends in your disagreement. Walk away agreeable to your disagreement with kind respect to the other individual and saying, no, look, I really think that you're off on this. I really, really do. But I understand, you know, where, where you're coming from and why you believe it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, you know, I would say something, you know, I'm praying that you're going to learn to see it my way because I think my way is the right way. But until then, I get it. And I can appreciate, if we can appreciate that other person for their sincerity and Jonathan, maybe they're wrong, but you know what? Am I right on everything? You should know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to answer it. <laughs> It's, that wouldn't be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it would be truthful, okay? No, I'm not, okay? So so we've got to just be willing to have that give and take. It's so, so important. So the results of a life lived above prejudice, okay? Let's make the argument for the results of that life. Ephesians chapter 2, let's go to verses 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are the God's household having been built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay, so you're no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens. There's the argument. If you have accepted Christ, you are fellow citizens with those others who have accepted Christ as well. This is what we are. This is how we should be, integrated, familiar, and unified. So now let's get to the question. How do you know? if you're, you're heading down the road to a more prejudice-free life. There's five points, Jonathan, I want to bring out two here. First is you will begin to experience a drastically reduced feeling of threat. When you're dealing with those who you've considered to be the other, if you are getting away from prejudice, your feeling of being threatened by them is going to drastically reduce because you are now rising above that. The second point of how do you know when you're coming to a life that is less prejudice is you're going to experience drastically reduced feelings of judgment, needing to judge them, needing to be harsh, needing to fill in the gaps, needing to put them down, put them away, put them, put them aside, do whatever it is you do. Because as you overcome prejudice, you realize, okay, they're a human being. They're struggling like I am. They see things differently. I think they're missing the boat terribly, but I see that they're trying and I have to respect that. And again, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt your point of view to say that. I think it helps. That's, how I think, how we can begin to realize that we're overcoming that sense of living a prejudicial life. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, this time verse 21 and 22. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. All right. This prejudice-free approach allows us to be part of the unified body wherein dwells God's Spirit. 
You know, Jonathan, Christians who disagree can still be have God's Spirit working in their lives. But God's Spirit works better when our disagreements can be talked about and, and fellowshiped upon, even if the disagreement doesn't go away. Because there's much more to our Christianity than that one disagreement. And it's not an excuse to start to assume that, that they're, 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 they're flawed, assume that their intentions are bad, or that they're being careless, or they have ulterior motives, or all that. We have no, like you said, we can't read the heart. We need to be a person of integrity. Yes. You know, that's what I'm hearing. We, we have to show respect, even if there's disagreement kindness even if there's disagreement right so again two more of the points on seeing if your life is becoming less prejudiced the third point is you're going to have a drastically reduced sense of the others you know we talked about she megan kept talking about the others and they're the bad ones you're going to begin to see that no these people aren't the others they're trying really hard you're going to see them as human beings not those bad things that need to be condemned and the fourth point is there's going to be a drastically reduced mental rehearsing of the wrongs that you have perceived done by, by those others. You're not going to be playing them again and again and again and again and again and again and again in your head because that's what we all do. And if our life is becoming more prejudice-free, we're going to begin to get let go of those things. When we see these things happening, we say, okay, we're on the right track. We're heading in the right direction. Let's get to our final soundbite from Megan Phelps Roper. And here she's talking about her mom. Now, her mom was one of the biggest, loudest, most boisterous spokespeople for Westboro Baptist Church. Okay? Here she's talking in a very loving sense about her mom and what she believes is her mom's, one of her mom's greatest mistakes. My mom said something to me a few weeks before I left Westboro, when I was desperately hoping there was a way I could stay with my family. People I have loved with every pulse of my heart since even before I was that chubby-cheeked five-year-old standing on a picket line holding a sign I couldn't read. She said, You're just a human being, my dear sweet child. She was asking me to be humble, not to question, but to trust God and my elders. But to me, she was missing the bigger picture, that we're all just human beings, that we should be guided by that most basic fact and approach one another with generosity and compassion. Each one of us contributes to the communities and the cultures and the societies that we make up. The end of this spiral of rage and blame begins with one person who refuses to indulge these destructive, seductive impulses. We just have to decide that it's going to start with us. What a powerful, powerful story of courage, of experience, of having that open heart to be able to rise above something that most of us would have considered pretty much impossible for somebody from a tiny, tiny baby brought up with such hatred to be able to let it go, not only let it go, but then go and calmly and profoundly teach the world what your own mistakes were and encourage the rest of us to rise above those kinds of things. Thanks again to your nephew, Matthew, for finding this because how powerful this is, this lesson. Yeah, really, really incredible lesson. So, you know, her mom's mistake may have been captured in the following scripture. So, you know, as we read this, we want to not make the same error. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 15, and we're going to take this in pieces. 
Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Okay. So the members of your earthly body are supposed to be dead. And now he's, he's listing them off, all of these, these dark things. It seems as though her mom and the other followers um, maybe ignored the part about those things being dead and grabbed hold of the next part of this text, verse 6 of Colossians chapter 3. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. See, so you can grab that piece of scripture and say, aha, I am justified in pounding down upon those who are sinners, who are outside of the grace of God, who lives their lives in immorality and impurity and impassion and evil desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry. It's I am justified in handling that and, and putting it back in their face and telling them with every bit of passion in my whole, my whole being. Great, fine, but let's keep reading, okay? Let's read the rest of the scripture. Verse 7. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. So you see what this is saying is you were supposed to have put these things aside. People have them. The wrath of God gets dealt with. But you, as a special called out one, if you are truly following the footsteps of Jesus, you have put aside your anger and your wrath and your malice and your slander and your abusive speech, all of which Megan Phelps Roper engaged in, admittedly, in her former life. So, what she's, what it's showing here is she wasn't living up to whatever she, they, they call themselves Christians, but by definition did not live up to what Christianity was requiring of them. So having done this, Christianity reflects the example of the evaporation of all prejudice. So the question is, do we live it? Let's go to verses uh, 9 through 11. Uh, nine, yeah, 9 through 11, we're in Colossians chapter 3. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So here it's saying, look, don't lie to one another. Uh, don't, don't, don't get yourself stuck with the evil practices of before. You've put on this new self. You have become transformed. You're supposed to be higher and stronger in Christ, in, in God's love, in the way Jesus expressed it. And in so doing, you have taken down the walls of partition around you. There's, it doesn't matter if somebody has a, a background of, of Jew or Greek or circumcised or uncircumcised, wherever they come from. We are all the same. Let's work together, even if we can't agree on everything together. Let's not let prejudice tear us to pieces. So, Rick, it's not about me. It's about us as body members. And that is such an important, powerful, clear, profound point of this whole conversation. It is about the body of Christ. We're important as a little piece of something so much bigger. Play your part as something so much bigger, not as the one who's trying to destroy the other parts. Okay, that's not our job. And that brings us to the, um, the fifth point on how do you know when your life is becoming far less prejudiced, and that is there will be a drastically 
increased acceptance of others' flaws and contribution because you realize that they're doing the best they can in their flawed state just as I am doing the best I can in my flawed state. Now, does that mean you overlook things that are morally corrupt? No. And I want to make sure that that's understood. But what it means is that we appreciate the effort of others, even if we can't agree with them. And certainly, let's not make up stories about them, okay, in terms of, 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 of filling in the gaps of why we think they believe what they believe. So, Jonathan, let's finish up with this. When we look in the mirror, this is what we want to see. We're in Colossians 3, now verses 12 to 15. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all this, these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. So there's an awful lot in that verse. We don't have time to go into it all, Jonathan, but Jesus' example, humility, inclusion, and thankfulness are powerful replacements for pride and prejudice. And really, isn't that what this is all about? It's about the idea of replacing pride, which was the first part of our two-part program, and prejudice, what we talked about today. Folks, we all have prejudice inside of us. Let us not be satisfied allowing it to exist, but let us take a frontal attack and, 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 and understand it and realize it and then covertly take it apart. Give it a virus of goodness. Make, make, it, make it crumble so that it no longer overrules and affects your life. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We've certainly enjoyed talking to you about such an important subject. Be sure that pride and prejudice are not front and center in your life. Think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Suggest other topics. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. Let us know what you think. Your comments are really important to us.